KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for a cover-to-cover open book. Good afternoon and welcome to Open Book, Friday's edition for Cover to Cover. For the next half hour, we invite you to join us in taking a listen to Jewel Gomez as we continue to showcase the work of queer artists. Renowned writer and activist Jewel Gomez is the author of the double Lambda Award-winning novel, The Gilda Stories, from Firebrand Books. Her adaptation of the book for the stage, Bones and Ash, a Gilda story, was performed by the Urban Bush Women Company in 13 U.S. cities. She is the recipient of a National Endowment for the Arts Literature Fellowship and two California Council, California Arts Council Fellowships. Her fictions, ex- essays, criticism, and poetry have appeared in numerous periodicals, among them the San Francisco Chronicle, the New York Times, Ms. Magazine, and the Black Scholar. Her work has appeared in such anthologies as Homegirls, Reading Black, Reading Feminist, Daughters of Africa, and the Oxford World Treasury of Love Stories. Her new projects include a comic novel about black activists of the 1960s as they face middle age, which will be published next year. She recently read in San Francisco from this new comic novel at Aunt Loot Books. Stay with us as we listen to Jewel Gomez read her latest novel, Televised. Thank you all again for coming tonight. So I'm not going to read anything vampiric uh, tonight. I thought I would, and I'm not exaggerating, this is my new novel. I just printed it out today at my job while my boss was at lunch (laughs) and and sent it off to, to my agent. And I've been working on this for about five years. And it's not that it's so, uh, you know, deep, but it's comic, and comic writing is very difficult. I'm fairly easy with being comic in person. In fact, I kind of specialize in it. But on the page, it's very difficult. So um, I have a new appreciation of to, to actually have characters who say and think things that make you laugh out loud. It is not that easy to do. So the reason it's a comic novel, and I'm just going to read a, a couple of little short pieces, is I wanted to write about what happens to the young people who were activists in the 1960s. I myself was on a college campus uh, and part of the Black Power Movement and, and all of that. And it was a very pivotal time for me and for the students who were on campuses because we actually could envision changing the world. I got up every Saturday morning and went to my uh, the Black Student Union and helped run the Mimeo machine to publish the Black Student newspaper and we were sure that with the power of our commitment we would free Nelson Mandela. And we did, ultimately. It took 30 years. But it happened. And so I decided I wanted to write about these uh, black students 30 years later going to a reunion. So 
then I realized, well, it's got to be kind of funny because the things I, I might want to say, you know, like, you men were complete assholes. It's really hard to just kind of say it. If you make it funny, it might work. Um, then I realized, and this was a really very difficult realization for me, if I was going to do this and have my contemporaries, the people who were in the black student union with me, oops, see, they're calling already, complaining. Um, if I was going to have the people who were in the movement with me actually read the book and take it in and recognize themselves, it would be very difficult to have the main character be a lesbian because they would just feel like they could say, oh, well, she's a lesbian. That's why she's being so hard on black nationalists. That's why she's being so hard on black men. So I changed the character, the main character from being a lesbian to being um, um, straight. I knew it was something. <laughs> what was that word? Straight. And then I realized, but then am I disappearing lesbians from the story? Um, I mean, I was a lesbian in college. I wasn't out, but I was a lesbian. So I decided I didn't want to disappear lesbians from the story. And the way uh, I wanted to do that was to create her roommate, have her roommate, who was her best friend during the movement, who helped her organize all of the actions that they did, who was the beauty queen, you know, the black beauty queen on this mostly white campus in New England, uh, who was, and, you know, marries the black football hero, end up coming out 15 years later. So the, the subtext of the story is that these two women who were like sisters to each other, uh, because one of them comes out, they disconnect, in part because they can't handle the truth about each other. And so the book is really, just like the Gilda stories, the book is about how we make connection, how we make family. And so it's uh, the main character, Roxy, has uh, been married. She's a widow now. She's a very tough, chilly kind of a bitch. So I'm just going to read a couple of sections from that. It's called Televised from the Gil Scott Heron song, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. So my, my agent said to me, well, you know, if you're expecting um, straight people to buy this book, there has to be sex immediately. <laughs> so I decided I'd start it in bed. And then I'm like, oh, that's pandering. So that's how I ended up putting her out on the ledge before she woke up in bed um, with this guy that she can't stand, which, you know, seems to be not that uncommon. So this is the beginning of chapter one. I'm going to read this other little section. I have a couple little sections here. Roxy's getting on the elevator at the end of the evening, the first evening, really before the reunion is starting. And um, get, getting on the elevator with her is one of their nemeses. And I really pat patterned a lot of the characters after real people. Um, this guy in particular. You know, like, think of a famous black nationalist poet who thinks the world begins and ends with him and will take any opportunity to diss lesbians or women 
or feminist or, you know. So this is uh, just a, a, little, a little scene where he, he gets on the elevator. He's a national literary celebrity. So I guess it was supposed to be an honor to have him leering at me. How you doing? My tight version of a casual greeting sounded to me like the crack of a piece of aged peanut brittle. Very well, my sister. You're doing fine, I hear. I pressed the button to my floor. I couldn't think of anything else to say. He was the same Rossan Wright I remembered, and we all saw on talk shows, self-absorbed and arrogant. His dashiki was extremely tailored, more dashiki-esque than actually African. On the other side of 60, he still had magnetic energy rippling through him, although now there was much more of him to be rippled through. He was wearing the same aftershave, Brute, which fought for its own space in the elevator. <laughs> I tried not to linger on his glistening baldness. So, Rasan, I started before he could slip into something slimy. What's the story with the Rotsi guys? And this was a group of guys who, um, it's sort of like, remember ROTC? It's kind of like that. No sweat, sister. No sweat. This group harassed the kids running Afro House for years after we left. It almost took a lawsuit to get them to back off. You think they forgot all that? Hey, that was ancient history. They didn't know we were going to be here. It's pure coincidence. I could feel a backpedal, which with Rasan means that he has no intention of you finding out the real deal. Coincidence, I said skeptically. Stop illing and start chilling. Don't worry about it, Roxy. We can handle them. I didn't say it, but the only people I ever heard say we can handle them with such confidence were usually part of a SWAT team or delusional or both. I can handle them echoed in my head like the sound of a trumpeter playing taps. Once I was back in my room, I took a long, deep breath like we do in yoga class, hoping it would center me, although I, I can never visualize exactly what that means. The word centered conjures up a picture of me spinning wildly on the spindle of a record player, like when I forgot the little center adapter for my 45s before tapes and CDs came along. But the breathing felt good anyway. I was about to make a phone call when the sound of someone knocking caught me mid-digit. Boy, if this was Rossan or CL, he'll be so sorry he ever thought about approaching my door. I glared through the peephole, if that's possible to do, with one eye. I was startled to see Sheila. I took a breath and tried to calm myself. Together, we'd learned to be black, not Negro. Why, Sheila, what a nice surprise, I said, sounding like my mother when the church people showed up at our doorstep on Saturday morning. She squinted at me as if I had just declared joy at seeing FBI agents at my door. She looked around the room uneasily, then came in, but she didn't seem to know what to do with herself. Standing by the armchair near the window, as far from me as she could get, she radiated frost. She still looked like she was ready to wear the black campus queen crown, though. Trim, dark, tan skin, perfect teeth, and great dimples that I didn't expect to see this weekend, since she didn't look like she was planning on smiling anytime soon. And her once huge afro was now dreadlocks, too, like mine. How can you still be so neat, she asked, her voice tight as she looked around the hotel room. 
That had been one of our few differences. Fortunately, I never minded cleaning up Sheila's side of our dorm room. Habit, I guess, so much travel, I answered, thinking this is going well if inconsequential small talk qualified as conversation. I hadn't heard for sure if you were coming to the reunion, Sheila said, still poised as if she were doing a spot inspection in a military barracks. I wasn't certain I'd have my gigs lined up and give, to give me enough time. My voice had moved into the supercilious professional zone. Uh-huh, she said coolly. I hated the whole idea of a bunch of middle-aged black folks exaggerating the past. At least that was the truth. So, it wasn't that celebrity photographers don't have time for the old gang. My nervous laugh burst out so loud I expected the person in the next room to bang on the wall. I was impatient feeling Sheila's chill in the air. I knew I hadn't really kept up, but what was the big deal? Naturally, I started making excuses. I lost the business card you gave me that time, I said hurriedly. Silence blanketed the room like tear gas. I noticed you didn't use any shots of me from that Washington demo in 87 in the life spread, Sheila said after a while. I, I did take a nice one. You were wrapped in a rainbow flag and in front of that banner, but I didn't know how you'd feel. I'm not in the closet, Roxy. Hell, I'm the co-director. How could I be in the closet? Co-director of what? The banner, remember, NCLR. When I looked blank, Sheila said, National Center for Lesbian Rights. Oh, was my profound response. It was on the banner. I dug my bare toes into the industrial carpet just in case she dropped an iceberg on me. Instead, Sheila turned, pretending to look out the window at the lights over the south end. She didn't say anything, but I could feel the temperature in the room plummeting. Sheila, I'm sorry I didn't use the picture. I don't give a damn about you using my picture, Roxy. But a phone call would have been nice. You used to be my best friend. So here we were, finally, and I was as blank as a brand new cassette tape. I tried to remember the reasons that I never called and couldn't think of one. Or maybe there were so many they sounded like excuses in my head, so I didn't say them out loud. It was a fluke that I'd ended up with the assignment to cover the demonstration. Few of the magazines where I published photos paid much attention to that kind of thing. At first, I was thrilled at the good luck that made us bump into each other among the hundreds of thousands of people milling around the mall. It was the gay march on Washington, but it took more than a beat for me to realize that Sheila was there because she was gay. From there, I stumbled over my tongue like it was a gag stuffed in my mouth. Sheila didn't say anything for a while then. After I came out, did you know that Baldy tried to take the kids away from me? Sheila cleared her throat and went on. I already had custody for seven years after the divorce. Long as he got a couple of visits a year and updated snapshots to show off, he was satisfied. Then he was reading some law review or something, and there I was, an article on lesbians in the law... He hit me with a stack of papers that must have cost acres of trees. Sheila stopped for a breath, and I knew I was part of the condemnation as she went on. NCLR was there for me, and I shredded him and his papers. I'd been with Eagle Herc for a couple of years. She said it like Eagle Herc, and, and I could tell immediately I was left behind. 
International Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission, she explained impatiently. But after the case, I realized me and NCLR were a better fit. Sheila had this whole big life that included a lot of initials, and I knew nothing about it. It was annoying. You could have called me, you know. I was afraid, Roxy, don't you get that? You're wrapped so tight, every motion in its place. You know what you think even, bo- even before you know what you feel. I pulled a chair up to the bed, sat down, and fiddled with the unyielding bedspread, but I didn't open my mouth. The difference between knowing and feeling was a false dichotomy to me sometimes. What the hell did it mean to feel something if you didn't know what it meant? Sheila always had those two things linked up. She knew what she was doing every step of the way. I just pretended I did and everybody believed it. For Sheila, being a lesbian activist didn't appear much different from leading the whips as far as I could tell. But I still didn't know how I was supposed to feel about it. And even now, I didn't know how I could talk about it. So almost instinctively, I changed the subject. I know this falls into the category of all black people knowing each other. I strained to sound natural. But do you ever see Curtis? Yeah, we were on a committee for NCBQ one year. What is this with gay people and initials? It worked with the NAACP, Sheila answered crisply, not fooling, not being fooled by the shift in my topic. He was supposed to come this weekend, but he's bugging on me. You might remember Curtis didn't, such, didn't, such, didn't get such a good send-off senior year. Curtis was gay and out gay in college. My face flushed because she was right. I was there. I knew why he wouldn't want to see any of the whips ever again. From the expression on Sheila's face, I could tell she knew more than I ever would about Curtis's need to avoid the reunion. She probably had to duck quite a few things herself over the past few years. I thought about her kids, their schools, parent-teacher meetings, then her own law school years. I couldn't begin to imagine what she had to sidestep, ignore, or battle to get through. I hadn't thought about that in the past 15 years. She hesitated a minute before she spoke, which wasn't like Sheila at all. The ticking of a clock would have been welcome in the barren space between us. Ask anybody not living in their own little gay bubble coming out ain't a bag of peaches. But fact is, a brother is still a man, you know. Sheila's voice was steady like she really needed me to hear her. E. Lynn Harris has more devoted black fans and beauty shops got grease. Black people can even come up with double talk to explain gay brothers who swear they're not gay. He's just having sex. And every season, a network TV show pops out with another gay sidekick. Exactly. So why are you making such a big deal about this? Because with us, they can't figure out if we're still women. Then half the time, damn lesbians can't even figure out that we're still women. Why'd you have to assume I wasn't going to be able to deal? I had a whole lot of friends who surprised me by not dealing, believe me. I'm not a whole lot of anybody. I'm me. And the you I knew had a favorite motto, get over it. That wasn't exactly the friend I needed, was it? Since when did my attitude shut you up? What if you couldn't handle it, Roxy? Your sensitivity to what I was going through was going to be the death of me. I didn't want all the stuff we did 
together back in school to get ruined if you got stuck in a bad attitude, which your deep silence led me to believe was the case. Damn, Sheila, I wrote you maybe a year after I got that change of address. I couldn't figure out why you never answered. My mother stopped speaking to me, Roxy Page. Can you understand how that feels? I was running a gauntlet. Lucky I had the kids or she would have just cut me off completely. That was hard for me to imagine. Sheila, framed by the blackness outside the window, looked like the last person on a train platform in the middle of the night. I pinched the bridge of my nose. I don't like it when people from Chicago cry. You think I knew how to handle everything that was going on? My life got turned upside down once me and Baldy split up. Half our so-called friends acted like being a dyke was a communicable disease. The other half, mostly guys, was so titillated I had to switch to an unlisted phone number to get rid of them. I could have used an old friend. Why couldn't you get that? When I finally saw you at that demo, I got up the courage to give you my card. I kept hoping you'd call, but you never did. That said it all. It was easier to move on. I turned back to the intricacies of the pattern on the bedspread. It appeared to be alternating maps of Plymouth Colony and Jamestown, circa 1600. It was disturbing to realize I'd been napping under maps of the place where genocide for Indians began and the first place that slavery was introduced into the colonies. Confusion and anger started building in my head with the tears, but I did not want to get distracted from the crossroads Sheila and I were approaching. Maybe you're trying to understand how you could have felt so close all those years to someone who turned out to be gay, she went on slept in the same room, wore the same clothes. Maybe it creeped you out. Sheila, I did look for your business card. For once I was glad they kept those boxes of tissues strategically placed in hotel rooms. I wiped my eyes casually as if some dust had just flown in from one of the sealed windows. All right, I decided to start over. I could have tried to track you down after I saw you at the demonstration. But I guess I didn't really want to find you, to know how much you'd changed. Did you feel cheated? Tricked? Maybe. But you did know me. I mean, who I was then, I I just didn't know me. Not yet, anyway. People change, Roxy. They just do. It's not a big mystery or a plot. The air between us was thick, and I didn't know what to say to soften it. But I had to do something to break through. I know I hurt your feelings. My voice was rising like it always did when I finally admit I'm wrong. Not calling you after you gave me your card was childish, but it wasn't because, you know, I felt left out. Left out of what? Evil in-laws, name-calling. You don't want to know how Baldy's folks acted. I think they picked up their Christian values at the Inquisition. Okay, okay, but it was like you were just on to the next crusade. I felt uncomfortable. Is that what you want to hear? I don't need to hear anything from you. I already got it pretty loud and clear. Sheila shouted as if she couldn't contain her anger any longer. Maybe it's just you need to say it out loud for yourself. I flinched at the truth of Sheila's words and her anger. I was uncomfortable. 
I mean, I don't go with all that Dr. Laura abomination nonsense. I know you can find quotes in the Bible to condemn everything from being black to wearing cotton and silk on the same outfit. But Sheila, I don't even really know what being a lesbian means. Just that you join some new club I can't get into. Shadows crossed her face as if a cloud I didn't see had positioned itself over her head. This conversation was turning out to be all about me and my hurt feelings. Not good. I really am sorry. I was worrying so much about myself. I kind of left you hanging out there by yourself. Sheila was not impressed with my perpetual apology. My life is not a goddamn club, Roxy. It's not a style. It's not a chic fashion statement or a career choice. It's my inside and my outside. It's like me being right-handed or black or being from Philly. It is me. What is so hard to get about that? I don't often know when to be quiet, but I did get that it's frequently best to wait a beat when someone asks a hard question. You can even use the time to reflect on an answer. When she turned away, all I could do was stare at her back and attempt to appear thoughtful, even though she wasn't looking at me at all. I tried to imagine what it was like for Sheila to come to the reunion preparing to face the whips and me. She had to know it would come out in this crowd. I couldn't grasp what it would mean to her to stand in front of folks who had worshipped her as a feminine icon and know she has a secret that could make some of them hate her. Or worse, feel like they should let her know they, from their lofty height, could forgive her. All the things that I might have done to make it easier for her flooded through my mind, even just emailing to let her know I knew and I'd be there for her. Her shoulders were squared like when she was walking out of Cabot Hall into the lightning storm of reporters' flashbulbs in the arms of the Boston police. I could picture her in one of those formidable law and order DA suits, standing tall in front of a judge, intimidating the hell out of them. Tonight, though, I saw the bears trembling. The square set of her back did not seem solid at all. Regret was starting to turn into a big old elephant standing on my foot, and I couldn't find my voice to even say, ouch. I won't let you ruin it, Roxy. You got that tyranny of the sensitive thing going too strong. You're so afraid of your own feelings, you can't even see mine. She heaved a huge sigh. The stuff we did together back then was a big deal. I'm always going to be proud. I guess our friendship just wasn't big enough a deal for you to step away from your own crap. Sheila crossed the room so quickly, electrical sparks flashed between her feet and the carpet. I sprang from the chair, but she was out the door, leaving me with just able to catch it before it slammed back against the wall. I took a deep breath, closed the door, and turned the deadbolt as if that would lock out the sharp pain cutting through me. (laughs) Thank you. That's the voice of Joelle Gomez reading excerpts of her latest novel, Televised, to be released next year. She recently appeared at Aunt Lutz Books in San Francisco. To find out more about Joelle Gomez, you can go to www.joellegomez.com. 
G-O-M-E-Z, one word, dot com. If you have any questions or comments, you can call 510-848-6767, extension 622, or go to our website, www.kpfa.org, where you can give us your feedback. Thanks for listening. This is Julia Butterfly Hill. While living in the now permanently protected over 1,000-year-old Redwood Luna, I prayed one day asking how we best make positive change in our world. The answer came to me in the form of an equation. Truth plus hope equals action equals change. It is only through public and alternative press like KPFA that we as people can find the true information and inspiration necessary in changing our world. Please, Support KPFA and be a part of actively empowering positive change in our world. And you are listening tonight.